1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read all 13 verses tonight because we're going to be pretty much covering through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And if you're at home, you can stand and rise and read the Word of God with us tonight. By the way, it's going to be a blessing to have people back in the, in the, church, of, in the church and people standing for the reading of God's Word. We're looking forward to that. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in this world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be uh, that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol, notice this, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But meat, he's talking about that meat offered to idols. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? And when you sin so against the brethren and wound their conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat makes my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. There's a lot here. You might want to take a pencil or pen and, or highlighter and, and circle some words tonight. I want you to circle the word conscience where you see it. I want you to circle the, word, the words idle, know, and knowledge. And I'll give you the number of times that it's here. I want you to circle the word stumbling block. And I want you to circle the word meat. Tonight I'm going to get into a subject we'll be back off and on for probably the next several months. Entitled Liberty and Conscience. Liberty and 
and conscience. And we're going to look at tonight briefly about the subject of Christian liberty. What is that? What does that mean? What are the implications of Christian liberty? Father, tonight, sanctify us through thy word. Thy word is truth. I pray that God, for great enlightenment, the Bible says in 1 John 2.27 that but the anointing that you received of him abideth in you, so that you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing is truth and no lie, even as you've been taught, so shall you abide in him. We have, Lord, believers in different stages of Christian growth. We've spoken about that two or three times already in this series. There are new believers who are budding and blossoming. Thank you for their hunger for the Lord. There are some who basically have hit their ceiling a long time ago and are greatly in need of this knowledge and discernment that Paul's talking about, where they've not gravitated from the milk of the word from, to the meat of the word, but are still stuck on the milk. We have many who are, and I thank God for this, who are, as Paul talks about here, who has this knowledge. But you made a profound statement here, Lord. You tell us that knowledge puffeth up. And if we think we know something, we don't know anything. That kind of sets us in our place. And tonight, we understand because the body of Christ, the local church, is made up of different members. There are some that you define as having a weak conscience. They're bothered. They struggle on certain areas because they do not know the Scriptures. And we who do know the Scriptures and may be comfortable in a certain place and doing a certain thing because we know we didn't violate the Scripture must take into account a weaker brother, a brother or sister perhaps who has a weaker conscience who might be easily offended. Lord, I'm cognizant, Lord, as we try to shepherd the flock. God, there's so many things that we can be very temperamental and can be easily offended by certain things and so bothered that we do not have enough grace to go beyond that. And I pray for special grace tonight, more grace for all the members of our church. Help me, Lord, tonight on a topic that I don't, Probably have only taught maybe one other time in the last several years. And uh, Lord, I, this is not one of my favorite topics, but one, Lord, it's a biblical topic. It's a necessary topic. It'll help us to grow in grace. To help us understand the essential is the love we must have, the how knowledge must be balanced with love. Help us, Lord, tonight to not be proud and hypocritical and pharisaical but more than anything else, to be Christ-like. Now, thank you for this, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated at home. Last few weeks, now I don't know about you, but this study from 1 Corinthians, I hope you can say the same as me, this study in 1 Corinthians has been very, very helpful. 
I pray as a church we're growing in grace in this book because it's dealing with difficult subjects. The last three or four weeks we've been, actually last five weeks, we've been dealing with areas of morality. We began in chapter 5 with the area of purity of the believer and dealing with church discipline. And we got into a pretty heavy subject in chapter 6 on the purity of the believer and our body being the temple of the Holy Ghost. The last three weeks we spent time in most pastors I know will probably spend maybe six weeks. I chose not to. But uh, we spent three weeks on chapter 7 dealing with the subject of marriage and divorce and remarriage and singlehood and responsibilities in marriage and all of these type of things and, and just great enlightenment from there and trying to help us there. And, you know, for some who don't feel affected, not moved by it, you just kind of, you know, you enjoy it for the season moment. But, boy, when it's your crisis and your situation, you kind of know you want to know what does the Bible say? And I trust as we go through the scriptures that you don't take for granted what's going on. I, I was telling this with the staff, and I spent some time talking to my, my son Justin about this a while back. But I believe one of the reasons why the Lord is using COVID-19 and gave COVID-19, and through this process, uh, churches have been affected. I think as, as churches and as God's people, I think we've gotten so used before COVID-19. I think a lot for all of us, we've gotten so used to the routine of church and doing church and all of those things that we just basically took for granted what church was all about. And every now and then, I know for me personally, I have to go back and I've got to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and I've got to read The Trail of Blood and I've got to go back to church history and read about our Baptist forefathers and, and those, 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 those Baptist forefathers who hid in caves and they had to go up in the mountain places and forests and places like that and those who were in the catacombs because they were being hunted for the faith and church for them was just a whole different dynamic. And you know, you, you can imagine right now with buildings and all that, we enjoy being in church. But I want to be honest with you, it's been grievous to my soul that having, having these buildings here and all these chairs here, having a church that has the capacity of running easily 1,500 people on a given Sunday and, uh, you know, where we can have just, you know, we can have all these services and we have empty buildings and empty seats and we have this COVID-19 situation and, and some of God's people are just, you know, uh, you're, you're going to slowly reassemble here because now the reality of the fact that COVID-19 is very real and contracting can be very serious here. Some, some of our brothers our, 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 our Brethren are just concerned about coming back to church, and others can't wait to get back to church. And I think all of us should have this attitude, we can't wait to get back to church. We can't wait to sit down again. We can't wait to get excited about the Lord. I hope that your amens will be beyond being a virtual amen to a solid amen when you come back to church. I hope the turning of the pages of the Word of God, that there's a greater hunger and a greater thirst that you have for God's Word. Now we get to chapter 8, and we're in a new topic When you preach through the Word of God, you kind of sometimes want to just stay on a topic. You want to re-preach that chapter again. Because it's so good. It's so meaty. These believers at Corinth wrote to Paul. They had many doctrinal and practical matters. They wanted to know what does the Bible say about these things. In 1 Corinthians 8, he's going to give them direction and discernment about this area of Christian liberty. Paul uses that word liberty in verse, verse 9. He talks about liberty, Christian liberty in Galatians. He talks about Christian liberty in Romans 14. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, they both go together. what he deals with is how you and I, 
how we exercise the liberty we have in Jesus Christ and how that affects other believers. Notice in this chapter, to help us understand it well, several words are used repeatedly. The word knowledge is used a minimum of five times. Verses 1, 7, 10, and 11. The word idols is used seven times. Verses 1, 4, 7, and 10. The word weak is used five times. Verse 7, 9, 10, 11, and 12. And the word conscience is used four times in verses 7, 10, and 12. All of these tie together. And he starts off with what they wrote him about. Now it's touching things offered unto idols. They wanted to know, Paul, we're in an idol-infested area. Our city is idol-infested. What about food that's offered to idols? Is it a sin to eat it? Some of the brethren are eating it. They feel comfortable with it. Others who have what we call a weaker conscience, and actually Paul gave that to them because it may not have been defined prior to that. Those with what is called a weaker conscience were struggling with that matter. And so, as we get through this book, we realize that was one of the areas of division. Many take this chapter or Romans 14, as defense for what has been called the worship wars. I'm not going to get into that tonight. And the pushing of the line in terms of what's acceptable music in a church. We're not going to get into that tonight. I will be honest with you, I've been hearing that argument, that discussion, since 1992. And I'll be honest with you, I believe every one of those who are, on, who are on the more progressive side of the music issue, frankly, have taken 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14 out of context. They've used it basically to offend and to hurt and basically disrupt the church, the church and in that place. And I don't believe that's the right application of that. I'll give you an application. It's kind of a weak application tonight, but I'm going to give you an application one. There's many ways we apply it. But this chapter here helps us understand how in the exercise of Christian liberty and how to exercise it without being offensive to someone else. Now, touching things can offer it unto idols. I want to start off tonight by noticing the practice, which you notice the practice here. We started from verse 1 with the practice that was, being, that was concerning. Corinth, as many cities that day, its religious activities revolved around idol worship. As we've talked about, and you know in your studies, behind the city was the temple of Aphrodite. Greek idols were many. This was a polytheistic culture. They worshipped many gods. When Paul and his team went there, you remember he went there from Athens. He already knew going there what he had to deal with. In fact, that was one of the struggles Paul had because he was dealing with a culture that was grossly immoral, and the immoralities were all wrapped around the worship of idols tied to Aphrodite and the Greek, the Greek gods. 
when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Achille and Priscilla and Luke went there, they prevailed. They stayed by the stuff. Remember, I, I preached a sermon about that in the beginning. Paul was even concerned whether or not how long he should stay there. And God said, you need to stay and you need to keep preaching. He said, I've got many people in the city. He said, what you've seen is just a small drip compared to what I'm going to send you. I've got many people in the city. And Paul and that, and that missions team saw many, many people come to Christ. What about things offered to idols? Well, people could buy meat in one of two places. There was the open marketplace. Meat was abundant and for sale there in the open marketplace. But the prices were jacked up. They were high. And there were other places you could buy it. Foremost of which was the Temple of Aphrodite, or the, small, the smaller temples there, where they had this meat offered to idols and it was offered there. And when the extra meat that had not been touched, they, they sold it at a disc. It was available. And so people, of course, if they knew it was offered that day and it wasn't going to be eaten or not going to be eaten or whatever there, they would, they would just say, well, it's, it's fresh meat. It's good meat. They said, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I, I don't have a problem buying it. And there were believers there at, at Corinth who, got, who got, um, were trained in the Word of God, and they were knowledgeable. They were spiritually strong, and part of their discipleship was learning uh, theology, learning about the doctrine of God, and part of their discipling was learning about Christology, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and part of their doctrine was learning about the worship of God, things that we teach in discipleship. And so these believers who were spiritually knowledgeable, they knew that, as Paul wrote about here, that the idols were nothing. So they thought, well, you know, why do I want to spend a lot of money going to the marketplace buying the same meat that I could buy that was offered to idols? And there, there frankly, were not a lot, there weren't any hands that touch it. Somebody used a, some prongs or whatever they used to put it down. They said, I can buy it at half price because they don't want to leave it there. It's going to rot and be no, of no use. I'll get it from, I'll get it from there for, for a little bit cheaper there. Or sometimes this meat offered to idols, people would buy it and, and people knew where, where it came from. And people would ask, the, and, and you know, someone would have a banquet, they'd have a feast. And people would ask, Christians would ask the question in Corinth, hey, where was this meat from? And they would say, well, you know, we got it. It was, it was meat offered to the, at the temple there. And those who had a weak conscience had a hard time with it. But those who had spiritual knowledge, those who had grown in grace and, and had knowledge, they basically said, no problem. And they would sit down with family or friends, or even if they were invited to, let's say, something similar like to a baby party at, at, the, at the Aphrodite temple, they didn't have a problem sitting down there for a feast because they weren't there to worship. They weren't there to worship an idol. They were there basically to eat the meat. So notice chapter 8, verse 4. They knew the idol was nothing. Verse 4 says, As concerning therefore the eating of those things, that meat, that are offered to, as sacrifice to idols, we know, now who's we? Paul and Silas and his team and those who had been nurtured in spiritual discipleship that had a thorough understanding of God and a thorough understanding of Jesus Christ. He said, we know that an idol is nothing. They knew that an idol was a figure that represented a non-existent God. It was a false God that existed in the minds of those, those idol worshipers. Those who were spiritually knowledgeable knew that the meat was not contaminated. We use the word taboo. 
There were those who had the weak conscience, those newer believers who were saved out of idolatry. You've got to bear in mind, all the Greeks, all the Greeks came out of pagan worship. The Jews came out of a monotheistic culture. They understood the worship of a living God. And so Jews who are not, who are not grounded in the faith and Gentiles who came out of this pagan culture and were not grounded in faith, they were very bothered. To them, idols were something. To them, the meat was contaminated. And so the question here, the practice was, is, the, is it a sin to eat this meat offered idols? Is it a sin to eat this meat offered unto idols? I'll give you a good example. In the Chinese culture, they have their cemetery days. We do not encourage anyone to participate in cemetery days. It's worship, it's ancestor worship. And they offer food to the ancestors. But extra food that was offered might be brought home. And you might have idol worshiping family members, and you come home and they've got the they've got the roast pork and the rice, whatever else is there. You've, you've been at church that Sunday morning. You've had Sunday school, you've had the preaching, the word of God for the service, and you come home and mama's got a plate there and it's got the, it's got the roast pork and everything else and food that was offered idols. Is it a sin to eat it? You weren't at the cemetery, you didn't worship the ancestor, but is it a sin to eat it? That's the question they were dealing with. We see the practice. Notice, secondly, the principle. The principle found in verse 4 is that an idol is nothing in this world. Now, I'm not going to say it's harmless. Because idols can be a channel for demons. But he was saying, when you get down to the brass tacks, an idol is nothing in this world. Look with me to Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 5. And we're talking about what those grounded in the faith, those who had spiritual knowledge, understood. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 to 5. What are we talking about here? We're looking at the first three commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You know what he's saying there? God was making very clear to a people that he brought out of bondage. A people that had been in Egypt for 400 plus years who had indulged themselves and intermingled themselves within the, with the idol-worshiping Egyptians. God's people, the Jews, even though they worshiped God, they were comfortable, they were okay with idol worship around them. And so as soon as God got them out of Egypt, they spent a few days out there in the wilderness. They got down by Mount Sinai. God started thundering down and gave to Moses the Ten Commandments. And he wrote it down on those two tablets. And on those, you have to bear in mind, when Moses came down there as the, as the giver of the law, who represented the law, and the great man of God that he was, when he stood there and recited these commandments as God was giving to him, you have to imagine the thundering of God. Thou, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We go on later on the scriptures, and God uses a name to describe himself. He describes himself as Elkanah. Elkanah means God who is jealous, the jealous God. The worship of idols is forbidden in the first three commandments. 
Let me pause and give a few things tonight. <coughs> Please do not be offended if you've done this. Take this as preventative medicine. All of us, all of us for the most part, have relatives or people we know that worship idols. In the Chinese, in the Chinese culture, one of several places where people are exposed to that might be the funeral of a loved one who was traditional, what we would call a traditional Buddhist in their belief. They did not repent and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And there's going to be pressure several fold there. The pressure is going to be, number one, you'll see relatives bowing to that body that's part of ancestor worship. Now, to correctly help everyone here, we're a multicultural church, the question is, do I bow or not bow? Well, if, if you bow once, which is okay, that's out of respect, like this. But traditional Buddhists will bow three times. Bowing three times is expressing your worship of that ancestor. That's not okay. Or you might have the pressure where there's a funeral. They're going to they're gonna impose upon you to. They're maybe offering incense. They have a Buddhist monk or priest that comes in. And they want you to offer incense. You have to think and pray in advance about having this situation where you're going to tell them where you're not going to do that. I faced that situation my father's funeral. I led my father to Christ. The day before we had the funeral, I met my, 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 my family members who were not saved. And my family members are good people. But, and a lot of it they did because they just were following tradition. And they're not Buddhists. We met over at the funeral home, and, and uh, I was talking to my brother, and I, and I walked him through the ceremony, and I talked him through everything. And my brother's a good guy. My, my brother and I are opposites. I'm type A, and he's as type B as you can be, amen? He's mild. I mean, he can, he can sit through an 8.0 earthquake, and it won't bother him. My, 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 my brother is just so mild-mannered in everything he does. And he said, Alan, he said, uh, yeah, I just forgot to tell you. And whenever a family member says, I forgot to tell you, that's a little scary, Amen. And he said, I forgot to tell you, uh, mom, mom wanted to do a blanket folding ceremony. And I said, oh, boy. And I said, I said so I said, okay, I, I'm praying, asking God for wisdom in the moment. Now, I'm not trying to divide the family, but I had to be very strong in that moment. And, um, and I prayed for wisdom, and I thank God for wisdom God gave me. And long story short, they didn't do it. They accepted what I told them to do without fighting me, without it being divisive. And this is the day before the actual, the actual event, which was going to be here at church. And I told him, Dad was a Christian, and Dad was saved. And that ceremony you're doing is, to, is, is symbolic of trying to make him feel comfortable in the afterlife. I said, listen, when Dad left this life, he was comfortable because he brought, was brought into the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I said, he's got a mansion much better than the nice house that he has here in, in Oakland. I, and I, we relieved all that work there, but you, you have to understand, you're going to be faced with a situation. What about offering incense? You have to find a way to tell those, 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 those relatives, listen, I love you, I realize that's what you do, but I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, we don't do those kind of things, and you know, if you don't mind, I, I can just step back and not participate in that. I don't want to be offensive to anybody, and they may try to pressure you, but I'm going to tell you over time, if you just take a stand for God, the Bible says we must obey God rather than man. 
You take a stand for that, God will work and bless you that. Notice what the Bible says in Psalms 135 about idols. Psalms 135, verses 15 to 18. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts in them. Listen, sometimes you might, because this is a large Catholic community, you might have someone that you respected and know that may have, may, may have passed away and left this life as a Catholic. And you may have been invited to their ceremony. I remember several that I've been to, their, their funeral. And you'll watch all the Roman Catholics, they come down because they're, that's all they know. They'll come down and they genuflect to the cross and they'll make the sign of the cross. And I'm not making a mock or anything like that. They'll do that kind of thing. Guess what? You know, you're going to be thinking, well, do I do the same thing or will I be offensive? No, you don't do the same thing. You let them know in advance. You don't, don't surprise them. You let them know in advance. Listen, I just want you to know I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I don't want to offend you, but I cannot genuflect. I can't do those kind of things. And I remind you here as we read Psalms 135, he talks about he, these idols. They're nothing. They can't hear. They can't speak. They can't breathe. They can't touch. Idols are inanimate. They're incapable. They're incompetent. And they're impractical. So number one, we know an idol is nothing in this world. But there's another principle. Notice here, we go a little bit further down. He says in verse 5, there are many gods, many idols. He's thinking about the Greek mythology and all the Greek and Roman gods. But he talks about us in verse 6. The second principle is, we know there's only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. And every time I'm in devotions, I read verses, verse 6, that encourages my heart. I love reading where it says, but there's but one God. We live in a pluralistic society. We live in a society where New Ageism. We live in a society where there's atheism. And I want to tell you tonight, an atheist says, I don't believe in it. there is a God. Yes, they do. They believe they're a God. They believe they're a God because they, they're humanistic in their belief. But the Bible says, to us, there is but one God. And by the way, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him. Did you see that? He's speaking about here the, the absoluteness of God and the authority of God, of whom are all things. He's making a statement there. Listen, they can worship those idol gods, but we believe in creator God. We believe in commander God. We believe there's only one God. And we in him. He says there's one Lord Jesus Christ. And I like the fact he emphasized Jesus as being Lord. By whom are all things. And you know what he's doing there? He's emphasizing that Jesus and God the Father are one. Co-equal. Co-eternal. Co-essential. By whom are all things and we by him. person steeped in godless humanism believes in himself. That's what humanism teaches. Exalting myself. But I'll tell you, they're polytheistic because they believe in their education. Believe in their, they believe in their wealth accumulation. They worship that. They worship whatever they give their attention to. 
And when a Gentile Corinthian got saved, he got saved out of idol worship. You have to understand, when Paul led to Christ, I mean, the very first thing he did, he's got them in discipleship. You have to remember, when Gentiles got saved, I mean, no wonder God saved Paul to be the apostle of the Gentiles. When a Gentile got saved, the very first thing you had to do is you had to get them into a fast track of discipleship, of helping to unwind them and to clear out of them all this pollution and junk that they grew up with about idol worship and worshiping the idols and their conscience being, being, being very, very, a condition towards us, they had to get past all of that. So they had, to, they had they got a fast track on theology and a fast track on, on Christology. And they got a fast track on the worship of God. Notice verse 1, Paul said, we all have knowledge. He said, there's some of you Corinthians here that you have this knowledge. I taught you about God. You, are, you believe that there's one God. You believe that there's one Lord Jesus Christ. I've taught you. And he said, we inclusively, we all have this knowledge. We're not struggling about the fact that an idol is not God. We're not struggling with the fact that an idol is non-existent. One God. One God who's eternal. One God who's our Father. One God who is infinite. One God who is holy and separate from sinners. One God who is light. One God who is life. And in him is no darkness at all. One God who is love. One God who is the God of mercy and the God of all grace and the God of all comfort and the God of all hope and the God of all peace. He's our God, only God. Only one Lord Jesus Christ. So we look at verse 6. And Paul's addressing right now these knowledgeable believers. They knew what he, Paul was talking about in verse 6. They knew what he's talking about in verse 1 and 2. That was a no-brainer. There was no question in their mind. He didn't have to re, re, reground them again about there's one God and one, one Savior. They didn't struggle with that fact. And I want you to underline that. They didn't struggle with that fact. And so for them to go to the marketplace to buy meat that had been offered to idols, there's nothing wrong with the meat. The meat doesn't commend us to God. It doesn't bring us to fellowship with God. I'm not better with the meat. I'm not worse with the meat. They knew and they learned from learning the Scriptures that they had their, their liberty allowed them. They could eat the meat. They could buy the meat and eat the meat because there was nothing defiling in the meat. Growing in Christ, spiritual maturities realize you come to this this place where Peter said to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge of being able to understand and discern from the Scriptures what is, what, is, what is sinful and what is not sinful. Buying meat that had been offered to an idol, eating meat that had been offered to an idol, as long as you didn't worship it, if you didn't worship it, he said, it's, it's nothing. But notice the problem. The practice addresses eat meat offered to idols. The principle is there's only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ, and idols are nothing. But notice the problem here. Verse 7. He just told these believers who are knowledgeable. Yeah, we have this knowledge. Idols are nothing. We know who God is. We know who Jesus We're secure in that. But verse 7, how be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. Now go back to verse 1. 
Did you know we can get to the place in our Christian life? We know it so well. We're very arrogant about our knowledge. You know, we get around in our close circles and you say something to somebody, and they'll say, yeah, of course I know that. Yeah, of course I know that. It's kind of an arrogant attitude about that. And Paul said in verse 7, how be it there's not in every man that knowledge. Notice this, for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto idol. What he's saying there, there are some who've gotten saved out of an idol-worshiping background, and they remember being steeped in this paganism. They remember what they did, and they still considered it very grievous. The Bible says they considered it under that hour as a thing offered to an idol. And he said this, because that meat is offered to an idol, and they see that, when they see a knowledgeable Christian who's supposed to know better eat that meat, the Bible says their conscience being weak is defiled. Weak means without strength. It's that verse found in Romans 5, 6, I said, I think it is where it says, but when we were without strength. Incapable. Christians weaker in the faith. Consider meat offered to an idol. A sin. And I want you to understand, as while Paul wrote verse 7, there may have been tears in his eyes because he knew some of those faces. Paul goes on, secondly, he defines a weak conscience. Brother Justin's here, just song led. An example being, if he's a stronger believer, he knows this. He's gone through discipleship. He knows God, who God is and Jesus is. He goes out and goes shopping for Jennifer, and she says, hey, pick up, pick up some, pick, pick up some uh, meat, if you would, on the way home. But it has to be that Justin's very, very economical. That's a, that's a nice way of saying cheap, amen, you know. And he goes out and buys this meat, and it's been offered to idols. I happen to be his friend, and I said, hey, where'd you get that meat from? He said, oh, yeah. I said, how about you pay a pound for it? I said, wow, that's cheap. Where'd you buy that? Where'd you buy that? He said, oh, I forgot to tell you, that was offered at the temple around the corner there. That's why it's so cheap. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. He's just been a Christian longer than me. He's eating meat off the idol. I just got saved, and no way I'm going to touch that meat. I know what I got saved out of. I mean, that, to me, to me is a weaker conscience. To me, that meat is contaminated, it's polluted. It's not, but that's what I'm thinking. A weak conscience is someone who's bothered. They're struggling with the fact that there is meat. A stronger Christian, a more knowledgeable Christian, is eating meat off her tonidal. Someone's defined the conscience as our internal court where our actions are judged and are either approved or condemned. That's a good definition. It's our internal court where, where, where our actions are judged and we're either condemned or approved. 
Our conscience simply tells us what's right or wrong. By the way, that's how you can, that's how you can debate with an evolutionist. Tell an evolutionist, you know what? Humans are born with a conscience. Animals do not have a conscience. Notice some descriptions of what happens to a weak conscience. We notice verse 7. A weak conscience can be defiled. Notice verse 12. A weak conscience can be wounded. But when you, so, when you sin so against the brethren and wound, you hurt their weak conscience. It can be fouled. It can be wounded. Notice it can be offended. Look at verse 13. Word for if meat make my brother to offend. The word offend is where we get our word scandalizo. It literally means this. If it offends, if it moves him to sin. We get our word scandal from that word. Notice something else. Look at verse 9. Actually, verse 8, Paul said this, But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. He says, I understand. They have a weak conscience, but understand this. Meat in itself doesn't bring us into fellowship with God. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us worse. It's just meat. But take heed. Be cautious, lest by any means this liberty, he's talking to those who are spiritually knowledgeable, this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. So my actions, even though I have the liberty to do what I'm doing, my actions are actually creating an obstacle and a stumbling block for other believers. Weaker believers. As, an old, as a strong, as a more knowledgeable believer, I know that meat did not make me better or worse, but I've got to watch out because there are younger Christians who don't understand that, and that becomes a stumbling block to them. It stumbles, they stumble in their faith. And that's why Paul said, by doing what you're doing, your knowledge is puffing you up. You're arrogant in your knowledge. He said in verse 2, if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. He says, you really don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. We have to be very careful in our defense of Scripture that we don't use Scripture to, to basically, I mean, it's one thing to defend Scripture. It's another thing to use Scripture to hurt people with it. And he said being puffed up in knowledge only reveals how ignorant we are. Let me say this tonight. It's one thing to know not doctrine. It's another thing to know God. It's one thing to grow in Bible doctrine. It's another thing to grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is talking about the weak conscience. The weak, the weak conscience is easily offended. It's wounded. It's defiled. The weaker brother stumbles in his faith. In fact, the Bible uses another phrase. Notice this. It says here... Um, Verse 10, for if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, because some were doing that, they were invited to a feast. It had nothing to do with the worship of the idol, but, the, but they, they bought the meat that was there. Shall not the conscience of him that is weak, who got saved out of that background, be emboldened 
to eat those things which are offered to idols. In other words, he's going to see you doing that, and it becomes a stumbling block. He says, well, if you can do it, I do it. But as he goes and does it, because he has a weaker conscience and not attained the knowledge, you know what he's doing? He's eating it, and inside of his heart, he's struggling. He's in turmoil because to him, it's sin to do that. And he's struggling with the fact that your good example, supposedly good example, was not a good example, or your example was bad to him, and your example is making him stumble and emboldening him, and basically he's saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I guess I should follow the, the stronger believer's example there. But notice what Paul says here, verses 9 and 12. We're to stand fast in the liberty we have in Jesus Christ, Galatians 5.1. But he's saying here, our liberty, number one, becomes a stumbling block to someone who has a weaker conscience. Verse 11, our knowledge will ruin the weaker brother. That's what the word perish means. It will ruin him. It will condemn him. It will put him in spiritual turmoil. And he said in verse 12, But when ye sin, so against the brethren and wound their conscience, ye sin against Christ. Isn't that interesting? Twice he says in verse 12, when our actions are a stumbling block, when we have spiritual knowledge, but we use it in a wrong way, and it hurts, and it wounds, and it defiles, and it trips up a brother or sister of the weaker conscience, the Bible says specifically, we have sinned. We have sinned. Have you ever eaten at Texas Roadhouse? They make a good steak. It's fresh. The rolls are great. They give you great sides. The meals are affordably priced. And you can get in and get out. If you can bear with the music and, you know, and sometimes you'll come in, and I'll use an example. Sometimes I have a preacher and his wife with us, and we'll go in there for a quick lunch after church. And the host or hostess, maitre d', will say, listen, I've got a table for four. It's crowded. I've got a table for four right now, Mr. Fong, right here, right next to the bar. Would you like to take that table? Well, dude, I'm hungry, Amen. I'm not going to order liquor. Preacher's not going to order liquor. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna eat. Get out of there. But every time we know that sitting at that table and eating that meat is not a sin. But here's the problem. Anywhere I go out to eat, I always run into church members. They never catch me in an awkward moment. I always catch them in an awkward moment. Praise God, amen. And I don't want to run the risk of a younger, of a Christian with a weaker conscience or a teenager or a college student who's not become knowledgeable in these things, who hasn't learned all this stuff about Christian liberty. I don't want to run the risk of them walking in 
passing the meat counter and looking over, and right there next to the bar is his pastor, Mrs. Fong, and the, and the preacher and his wife, and they're seeing us drink a Coke, and they're thinking we're drinking a beer. Can you imagine a believer coming in and I'm wound, I've wounded his conscience? I've defiled his conscience. I've wounded his conscience. Or worse yet, I've emboldened him to say, well, you know, if he does it, I guess if he could drink beer, I can drink beer. You know, when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, I never told anybody this. When I was a teenager, I had some guys that I grew with, and I don't know if you guys ever did this. I had some teenage boys who say this. They said, hey, if pastor went into the bar, I guess it's okay for us to go in the bar. And we'd laugh about that. That's not funny. Because if that's the model, if that's the way we think, that if a stronger, more mature Christian did that, that gives us the license to do it, that's the wrong use of our liberty. We don't use our liberty as a license to sin. Now, I said that my example is a weak example because there's many other examples that can be used. So what do you do? Well, we wait 15 more minutes for another table. We give it up to somebody else because I don't want to be offensive to somebody else who comes in. I don't want to offend the preacher. You say, would you do it if you didn't have the preacher? No, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have the preacher there. Because it's not the right thing. Sometimes you'll go in and they'll say, hey, we got a seat, we got a seat at, the, at, the, at, the, at the counter there. Well, the problem with the counter is that that's where the liquor's served. I'm not going to order liquor. I'm going to eat my meal. I have my iced tea or my water. But by just sitting there, I could wound the conscience of a weaker Christian. So notice the priority. The practice dealt with meats offered to idols. Can we eat meats offered to idols? The principle is an idol is nothing. There's one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. The problem is those who had spiritual knowledge were eating this meat that was offered to idols in clear vision of believers who had a weaker conscience and they were being arrogant in their attitude, saying, what's the big deal? It's no problem. Without walking them through this, and the weaker brother, the one with the weaker conscience, they were defiled, they were wounded, they were offended, and this became a stumbling block. They lost, they lost credibility in you. So notice the priority. Verse 9, number 1. Take heed. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. Be very careful. Be very careful. People follow the lowest example of leadership. I've got preacher friends. All of us have different levels of standards on different things. I'm stronger in a number of things. My, some of my friends are not. And there's some things they're stronger about than I'm not, okay? But we, have to, we were very careful that when we're each other's churches, we're not there to offend or to criticize. So number one, take heed that your liberty is not a stumbling block to someone who's weak. That's why the Bible encourages us to have a spirit of meekness. I'm going to tell you something. One of the missing, the missing characteristics in leadership today is a spirit of meekness. Take heed. The priority, go back to verse 1 and 3. Number 2. Number 1, take heed. Number 2, 
Number two, the priority is we must balance our knowledge with love. He said in verse one, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Did you catch that? If your knowledge is not building somebody up, you're puffed up. You're just somebody who's all interested in getting your theological degree, your MDev, and all these kind of things there, but you're puffed up. Charity edifieth. Look what the Bible says. If a man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. He says, you think you know, so you don't know jack squat. That's why these guys that come in here, they've been to this seminary and that seminary and this seminary and that seminary and all that kind of stuff, and they want to talk about what they've learned, and, and they've, read, they've read this guy, that guy, and this guy. You know what the Bible says about that? They don't know anything. I hope they're watching tonight. I can't wait till we have resembled church. And they start doing that with me again. I say, you don't, the Bible says you don't know anything. But the Bible does say this. Look at verse 3. You know what the Bible says we better know? It says this, what we should be known for. If any man loves God. Do you love God? Do you love God? You don't love God if your knowledge puffs you up. You don't love God if you're arrogant about your MDiv degree. You're, you're, you don't love God if, you're, if, you're, if all your knowledge is building you up and not building somebody else up. Who cares how ethereal your knowledge is and who cares how way up in the clouds your head is? You need to get your head out of the clouds and get your head face on, get on your face on the ground and get some humility in your life. And he says here, if any man loves God, the same is known. You know what Paul is saying here? Hey, people know you by your love. Hey, people don't care, don't, people don't care how much you know until they, don't, they, they, they know how much you care. They don't care about what your knowledge is. They care about what you about your love. You know, people, you know, people don't come beat down the doors of a church because, because there's a bunch of intellectuals here. They come to church because they were looking for love. They're coming to church because they're looking for people that care. They're coming to church because they're looking for people who've got the answers from God's word. If any man loves God, the same is known of him. Hey, do you love God? Are you known by your love? Charity edify it. So listen to some things I'm going to tell you tonight. Go to Romans chapter 14, please. We're going to skip through some things. There's a lot more here because I'm going to come back to this a little bit more. Romans 14 is good stuff. Listen to this. When our knowledge is balanced with love, when our knowledge is balanced with love, our consideration of a brother with a weakened conscience is loving and not hurtful. Romans 14.3, notice this. Let not him that eateth, same problem, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. <laughs> notice this. For God has received him. Well, I can go in many directions on that one right now. God has received him. Notice verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. That is not to judge his doubts and his fears. Be patient with them. Go down a little bit further. Look at Romans 14, verses 15 to 19. The whole chapter works. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, 
Now walkest thou not charitably. He says, you know he's been offended and you're not being loving. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. You know, these people on these worship war things, they take that verse so out of context. They'll tell somebody like me who has a more conservative approach, more what I believe is a more biblical approach to music, and they'll say something like this. Well, they say, well, you know, there's something wrong. They'll take this verse and say, well, you know what? What you're doing is you're destroying me. I didn't destroy you. You're destroying me. You're, you're basically pushing us out. He said, verse 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You know what Paul just did there in verse 70? This is so good. He says, let's get off of the sensual and the fleshly stuff. Let's get back on the spiritual. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. And let's not talk about a feasting time here. He says, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is in these things ser- he that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Hey, you ought to see it. Sometimes, every now and then, someone who comes out of a contemporary church movement doesn't really understand all this stuff. It's been all they know is that kind of music, and that's just what they know. And they were they were in it before they got saved, and they're still in it. Then they come to our church, and we sing the hymns, and we're just trying to we have lively singing. And there's just something that bothers them. I, I watch them. It, it, this happens every time. I watch them because they they haven't been discerning. They haven't they haven't learned because they get these 20 minute sermons, which are not even sermons. Somebody reads something which I don't even know what kind of convoluted version of the scripture they've read out of. It's not even a version of scripture. It's, it's a perversion of scripture. Amen. You know, and they read that, and they get it. And they say, well, I want you to know that you know this is what he said, and, and it's it's kind of an effeminate way of, of giving out the Word of God. It's not even preaching. It's an effeminate form of just giving off the Word of God. And they get up there, and so that's the, kind of, that's the kind of church you're used to. And they come here, and we're all excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you got a type A pastor here that I don't need any drugs to get me all excited. I'm just excited about Jesus Christ, amen. And I just get up on fire for God, and I'm out there just telling people they need to love the Lord and serve Christ. And they get out there, and we sing, uh, uh, we're a child of the King. And they, you just watch your faces. Their faces start to twist and turn like they're going through a major stroke right at that moment, and half their face drooped. They looked like they're going through a stroke, and they looked like they're about to fall apart, and they go through paralysis analysis there, and they just can't wait. And when we bow our heads to prayer, they make a beeline and get out of church because they said, we don't want to be in a church of this. I want to tell you something about that. That kind of mentality does not fit here. They're not exercising charity at all towards us. I've seen it. They're hateful. They are. He said, let us therefore follow after things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. So notice how Paul closes this out. and Go back to chapter 8 and we're done. Notice how Paul closes this out. This is good. Number one, take heed. Don't be a stumbling block. Number two, number two, he said, be careful, balance your, balance your knowledge with love. Number three, look at verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth. I've never seen a contemporary worship person ever claim that verse. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. You know what Paul said here? Hey, I'll be vegan. (laughs) 
said, I'm, got, I'm not going to eat meat. If it makes my brother defend, I won't eat meat offered to an idol. I'm not going to do it. I won't run the risk of hurting him. Balance your knowledge with love. Build people up. Those of us who have the knowledge, use your knowledge to edify. Listen to this. Liberties, I got this from another pastor that I was studying there. Liberties are controlled by conscience. Conscience is strengthened by knowledge, that's true. And knowledge is balanced by love. If you're someone tonight struggling in many areas of the faith, that's okay. It's okay. Paul acknowledges there are believers in churches that have a weak conscience. But let me encourage you tonight. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Get in God's Word. Get into discipleship. Ask questions. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate a couple of our classes. Brother, Brother Justin oversees our discipling and our soul winning. And, and I appreciate our disciples where they, up until this COVID-19, for the most part, there was questions all the time. That someone asked, and the disciple was very honest, says, well, I'm not really sure what the answer is to that, but the Bible has an answer. And I said, they'll say, well, I'll find out for you. And they'll email Brother Justin, and I'm copying on it. And he gives a great biblical answer. He helps him understand. He gets very clear, very, very good communication on that. And we sit down and help the believer through that. And, you know, we, we just, when we ask them, we'll say, okay, now, does that make sense? We don't want you to believe just because we said it. Do you understand? Do you believe it because it's the Word of God? Do you believe it because it's truth? And, honestly, most people... They, they, they get it, and those who struggle, they just need time. The Bible says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have a weak conscience, okay, don't use it as an excuse to stay that way. Don't stay that way, okay? You know the worst feeling to have? i got a bunch of men in the room with me right now. You know the worst feeling to have for a man is to feel weak. You know what you need when you feel weak? You need to eat a steak. Amen. You need to go to Los Pericles and get you a one-pound burrito. Amen. Al Pastor burrito. Amen. You need to go. You need to, don't go to the gym because you're going to catch COVID-19. Amen. Go get you some weights. Start doing curls, 30-pound curls. Amen. Start doing some push-ups. And get strong again. Don't stay with a weak conscience. You're missing out on the good things of life, amen? Don't be well going here, there, and thither. Don't be a taboo Christian. Be a truth Christian, amen? Get the word of God. Let it work in your heart. May God give you liberty tonight. Stand fast in the liberty you have in Jesus Christ today. Walk in the spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of flesh.